As I said earlier, we're studying the attributes of God. We're calling this knowing God. And uh, so far, we've been going through what we call the incommunicable attributes of God. There won't be a test over that word, but I will explain what that means. Those are attributes that we do not share with God, right? So we've been looking at, we, we looked at how God is spirit. We are not spirit. We're material. We looked about how, how God is infinite. We are not infinite. We're finite. Uh, we talked about how God is eternal. We are not eternal. We are temporal. And this week, we're going to talk about how God is unchangeable. We are not unchangeable. We are very much changeable people. And we live in a world that is ever-changing. And that's why it is hard to keep our promises. And I want to focus in on the, this, this idea of God being able to keep his promises this morning. Uh, and that reminded me of my, uh, a movie that we love as a family about promises, the movie Up. Maybe you've seen the movie Up before. Kids, we've seen the movie Up before. It's a good movie. Up has one of the most amazing opening montages ever in the history of film. Right? If you, uh, Up is about uh, a man named Carl. And whenever Carl was young, as a young boy, he met a little girl in his neighborhood named Ellie. And they became friends. And Ellie was a precocious, rambunctious talkative young girl, and Carl was a, a shy, kind of a nerdier guy, and uh, Ellie very much took the initi- initiative in this relationship for them to be friends, and uh, they were explorers, and their goal was to go to a, a place called the Falls, I think it's Falls Island, or something like that. Kids, help me here. Um, Paradise. Paradise Island. Something like that. And uh, that was their goal to go there. We're just going to go with that. Paradise Falls. Yes, sir. Heard the false. Thank you. I'm hard of hearing. I'm half deaf. I don't know if you guys know that. So you got to speak up, talking like your grandpa. Um, Paradise Falls, that was their dream to go there together. And whenever Ellie and Carl were younger, Ellie looked at him and said, We're going to go to Paradise Falls someday. You promise me. He's like, yeah, I promise you. She's like, You cross your heart. Cross it like you mean it. And so he crosses his heart and he promises that they're going to go to Paradise Falls one day. Well, Ellie and Carl grow up and they get married. And it is their dream to go to Paradise Falls together. And they set that as their goal. And uh, they, they plan on, they're saving up their money so one day they can go to Paradise Falls. Uh, but as uh, life happens, they are continually uh, seeing obstacles that keep them from going to Paradise Falls, right? Like uh, they raise kids and that requires money and time and energy. And they have to buy braces, and they have to pay for a house, and they have to go on trips, and they have to do all these things. And, and throughout the years, their plans to go to Paradise Falls falls through. And then Ellie gets sick, and Ellie passes away. And Carl is deeply saddened, not only by the loss of his wife, but of the loss of this dream that they would go to Paradise Falls together. And the whole movie is about Carl's dedication to keep his promise to his loving wife. Um, As we watch that, I think especially as parents uh, and and spouses, we resonate with making promises and wanting to keep those promises, but also coming up with the obstacles of life just get in our way all the time. And it's a reminder that we do live in a world that's ever-changing. We live in a world where we can't predict the weather. 
We can't predict our health. We can't predict our finances. We cannot predict what is going to happen to us on a day-to-day basis. And so we make these promises uh, most of the time with good intentions to keep them and to fulfill them. uh, But we are unable to do that. We're unable to keep the promises that we make to the ones that we love. Well, what I want us to see this morning, that as we, as we plunge into this idea of God being unchangeable, what I hope that you see is that because God is unchangeable, He and He alone can make great promises. And He can keep those great promises. Because He is unchangeable and His love is unchangeable. Right? He can make great com- promises and he can keep those promises because he and his great love are unchangeable. So we're going to answer two simple questions this morning. What does it mean for God to be unchangeable? And why is that important to us? In some ways, it's really very simple. To say that God is unchangeable means that he does not change. That he is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, in the passage that we read here in Exodus 3, uh, as, as Kyle did a great job reading, um, God comes and he meets Moses. And he introduces himself to Moses. And how does he describe himself? He says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's saying that I am the same God who came to them over 400 years earlier and made these great promises. I promised Abraham that I was going to make him a great nation. I was going to give him a great home. And I was going to be his great God. And I continued that promises through generations. Through the generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, I am the same God who made those promises. And I am the God who is going to keep those promises. And Moses is like, what? What are you talking about? Like, these people, they're not going to believe me. When I come to tell them that you have come to set them free, who do I tell them you are? And he says, tell them, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. We talked about this last week. For God to be I am means that he is self-existent. He depends on nothing else but himself. He has life in and of himself. For him to be I am means he is outside of time. He is eternal. Right? And for him to be I am means that he is unchangeable. He is the same from beginning to end. Within there is no growth. There is no change. There is no progress. He is unchangeable. And there's a number of passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament that remind us of his unchangeableness. Now, topical sermons are challenging for me. I really prefer to do like exegetical sermons where I work. But sometimes you need topical sermons. But with topical sermons, I always like vacillate on, do I just pick one passage or do I a lot of passages? And I've been kind of focusing on one passage. But this morning, I just wanted to flood you with passages. So I'm going to flood you with passages this morning. We're going to try this, right? Look at these Old Testament passages. I am, hopefully they're going to be on the PowerPoint, though. So I've got them on the PowerPoint. Um, hopefully they'll be up there. And if they, yeah, so we go. We're going to roll through these, right? Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not do it? Or has he spoken and will it not fulfill it? He doesn't change his mind. His mind, his purposes remain the same. Psalm 33, 10 and 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. 
The counsel of the Lord stands forever. His plans, the plans of his heart to all generations. He has a plan. He's carrying out that plan. And we don't break or deviate his plan. He's not like a, he's not like a, a train engineer where the train somehow went on the wrong tracks and now he's got to figure out, okay, well, he went on this track, so I've got to get to track A or B or C. No. Somehow in his mystery and his sovereignty, we're always on his track. Uh, Psalm 102, 26 to 28. They will perish, but you will remain the same. They'll wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall establish, shall be established before you. So it's not like our, our clothes are going to wear out. They're going to change. They're going to stretch out. We're going to change. So we're not going to fit our clothes sometimes. But God is not. He never wears out. And in Malachi 3, 6, for I, the, if you can get any clearer, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Even his, 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 because of his steadfast love, because it doesn't change, even when we're disciplined, even in his wrath, he's loving to us and he doesn't consume us. You say, well, okay, maybe that's the God of the Old Testament, not the God of the New Testament. We get to, to the New Testament and we see the same thing, that God is unchanging. John 8, 58, we looked at this last week. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying, now I am the God of generations. I'm the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Romans 1.23 says, and God in exchange, and they, uh, it's talking about um, people who reject God, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God is not like them. He's not like creatures that grow and change. Uh, Philippians 1 6, and I'm sure of this that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. His plan to mature us does not change. Hebrews 1 11 through 12 actually um, goes back to Psalm 102. It says, They will perish, but you will remain the same. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will not be changed. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And Hebrews 13 eight said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So from beginning to end, the Bible teaches that God does not change it. His promises, his person, his plan is unchanging. So, you're, you know, when we talk about these uh, incommutable attributes, it, it's hard to, to get that in your mind. So I've been trying to use lots of different illustrations to help you um, imagine what this is like. Uh, so I'll give you a new one this week. I heard from another pastor. He said, imagine that you're, there's a mountain range and there's a stream rolling through that mountain range. And our lives are like boats on that stream to where we can see our boat. But because the stream is weaving through the mountains, we can't see all the other boats. We can't see what's happening. But up on the top of that mountain is a point in which a person, God, can see all of those boats at the same time. He can see all of their paths at the same time. And he is equal distant from all those boats at all times. He has complete knowledge of every boat and every path that they are on. That's what it's like for God to be infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He is, he is out there. He is above us. He is outside of time. And he has complete knowledge of all of our boats and all of our paths and everything that's happening. We don't, but he does. 
And so there, there's nothing that can surprise him. There's nothing that can change his perspective. There's nothing that can change his knowledge. And so because of that, we can trust that his purposes, his plan, and his person all remain the same. Right? That, that that's the perspective. We have a God out there who can see us and know us and knows our world and can keep his promises. Now, um, if you've read the Bible uh, a lot, uh, then you, you, or, or maybe you've heard objections to the Bible, you may be saying, but wait a second, Shane. There are times in the Bible where it looks like God changes his mind. Where it looks like God changes his plan. Well, how, can you, how can you say that God is unchangeable whenever it looks like he's changing his plan? And it looks like his person changes. Okay? So, true, there are places in the Bible where it does look like God changes his plan. And where he may even explicitly uh, uh, change the way he responds to his creatures. Uh, and so what we believe about that, what, what we see as we study the whole Bible, is that because God is outside of time, if he's interacting with creatures in time like us, he has to interact in a way that we can understand. Right? It, it is, he's, he's working with, with temporal people. He's working with people inside of time. And so when he's working inside of time, there are going to be changes and adjustments in our perspective, but not in his perspective. If he knows all things, he knows the beginning of the end, the changes are even part of the plan. Uh, also, um, God has to communicate in a way that we, others, that we understand. Uh, we call these, uh, you won't be tested on this, but in case you want to know, anthropomorphisms, using lots of big words today, so they pay you the big bucks for, anthropomorphisms, right? And anthropomorphism is, we, we, God is speaking in a language that we can understand. He, he, God is getting human characteristics that help us understand who he is. Like this passage, right? It says that God sees, God hears, God knows, God speaks, God has a hand to deliver, okay? God does not literally have these physical features like humans, like you and I, but God is putting it in a language that we can understand in his spirit-like infinitude. He can hear and he can see and he can know but he's got to communicate that in a way that we can understand. That does not mean that he changes. That means that he is actually greater than we thought or imagined because he's so great. He can speak in a way that I can understand and you can understand and people have been able to understand throughout the ages. That's what it means for God to be unchanging. That at all points throughout history, his promises, his plans, his purposes remain the same and that is incredibly important for you and I in a world that's constantly changing. So that's what I want to focus in on now is why is this practical? Why is this important? Um, because God is unchangeable. He can make great promises and he can keep great promises. Now, there's a lot of promises in the Bible. Plug for Jeff's Bible study. Jeff has a men's Bible study where they're going through the promises of God. So if you want to go through a bunch of them, you can go to Jeff's Bible study or you can probably get his outline. Okay, Jeff, raise your hand up there, Jeff. There you go. Shameless plug for Jeff's Bible study. I'm going to focus on one of those promises this morning with the next 15 minutes that we have left. And that promise is the promise of peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. In a world that's unchanging, with people who change, we change, they change, this whole world changes, the only way that we can have peace is to trust an unchanging God. His unchangeableness is the foundation of peace that we need in the midst of our fear, our anxiety, our suffering, our depression, whatever it is, whatever is stealing your peace, it is trusting this unchangeable God that can give it to you. He promises peace in suffering, just like we read in our call to worship. He's saying, everyone that comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does them not is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the rain that housed of that house, the, I'm sorry, the ruin of that house was great. Suffering is going to come in this life. It's just a part of life. It's a part of living in this fallen, broken world. Um, the question is not, will suffering come? But when it does come, what is your house built on? What is your life built on? Is it built on rock? Or is it built on sand? If you build your life on anything other than the person and work of Jesus Christ, this unchangeable God, then your life will be built on sand. And when suffering comes, you won't be able to withstand it. If you build your life on your appearance, guess what? You're going to get old. And your appearance is going to deteriorate. And you'll lose your life. If you build your life on your money, guess what? That money's going to run out. Or you're going to have to leave it to somebody and you don't know whether they're going to be wise and use it well or whether they're going to waste it. And in the end, naked you came into this world and naked you're going to leave it. If you build your life on your intelligence, uh, I hate to break it to you, but you're going to get older. And you're going to start to lose some of that intelligence. Uh, the other night I was laying in my tent because we were camping and I was trying to think of the name of an OSU football player because there was an OSU game the other day. Uh, those of you who don't know, I'm a big Oklahoma State football fan. Um, I couldn't remember the name of this player, and it sounds dumb, but it sent me this spiral of like, am I getting Alzheimer's? Am I getting dementia? Like, why can I not remember the name of this player? I could not go to sleep until I looked up the name of this player and found it. But it was just this sign of like, man, I'm getting older. Like, my mind's not always going to be there. If you build your life on your children, at some point they're going to let you down. If you build your life on your spouse, at some point they're going to leave you or they're going to let you down. The fact is that we live in a world that changes and is changing daily. If you build your life on anything other than the rock of Jesus Christ, it's sand. It's sand. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whoever builds their life on him builds it well. I was talking to a friend uh, recently who is uh, in the process of going through a very difficult season. And they were um, potentially losing their business, losing their house, uh, losing things that they had spent years uh, building and making. But leading up to this, um, 
She had prepared well. She had hidden these words in her heart. And she said, my, my hope is not in these things. It's, it's on the personal work of Jesus. And, and, and I knew, you know, she knew that this day may come. And she prepared for it by building her house on the rock. Um, suffering will come. When it does, what is your house built on? What is your life built on? I would encourage you to build it on the unchanging promises of God. He gives us peace in suffering. Um, we can, because God is unchangeable, it can give us peace of conscience. It can give us peace in conscience. First uh, John 1, 8, 9 says, If we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God being um, all-knowing and unchangeable is a very scary thing on the front end. Because if that is true, then that means that God knows everything about you. He is the one being in the universe that knows all of your flaws, all of your sins, all your weaknesses. He knows everything. There's no hidden crevice in your life. There's no uh, skeletons hidden in the closet. He knows them all. At the same time, because of Jesus, that can give us a great comfort because that can lead to forgiveness. That can lead to the closet being cleaned out, the, the sin being cleansed, the guilt being removed, the shame taken away. This, this promise that we have in 1 John says that we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive us. That is an unchanging promise. If you were struggling with the guilt of sin, if your conscience is, is, is pricked over what you have done or what you have not done or the skeletons in the closet, you are deathly afraid for anyone to see. The good news of the gospel is that God sees them. And that's why he gave his only son for you, because he loves you. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for you at your best. Christ died for you at your worst. Christ didn't die for you when you cleaned out your closet. He died to clean out your closet. Uh, there's a great illustration of this in uh, The Scarlet Letter. If you've never read The Scarlet Letter, Nathaniel Hawthorne, great book. I think it's probably my favorite novel um, that I've ever read. Not that I've read all the novels, but I've read that one several times. Uh, if you haven't read The Scarlet Letter, it's about a, a woman named Hester Prynne who lives during um, the early uh, years of, the, uh, of America. And um, she has an affair uh, with someone in the town. And she has a baby uh, out of that affair. And so her punishment for this affair is that she has got to wear a scarlet A on her jacket, on, her, on the breast of her coat, this scarlet A. And so that identifies her as an adulterer to everyone in the community. And before she can wear that, she's got to walk up on the scaffold with her daughter and the whole town sees her and they see like the worst of her. They see all of her guilt. They see all of her shame. And she lives the rest of her life with this scarlet letter on her breast. And she, she, um, she honors it. She wears it uh, in some ways that she embraces it. Now, I'm not saying that, that we should put a scarlet letter on everyone who hasn't committed adultery. Hear me. That's not what I'm saying. But what you see in the book 
is that that letter forced her to be honest. Everybody knew her sin. There was a forced honesty about that. And because there was a forced honesty about that, she actually had healthier relationships with the people in the community than another character in the book, which is Roger Dinsdale, right? Who's the minister. And the minister was the person with which she had the affair. But when it came time to be honest about the affair, he did not come forward. He did not take the punishment. He hid it. And so throughout the whole book, it describes him as walking around with his hand over his chest. And at the very end of the book, sorry, spoiler alert, it's 300 years old, though. You have like 200 years old. You had time to read it, okay? At the very end of the book, he, he, he's sick, he's weak, he's dying, he's wearing down throughout the whole book. He walks up on the scaffold in front of everybody, and he pulls off his shirt to reveal the scarlet letter, and then he dies. And it's this picture of, I, I think, of his guilt and his shame. He tried to cover it up. He tried to hide it. And because he tried to cover it up and he tried to hide it, he had no peace, and he withered away, and he died. And I think my fear is that that's what we try to do with our sin. We think if I cover it up, if I hide it, if I keep it away, then I'll be safe and I'll be okay and eventually I'll move past it. But that is not what happens. That sin has got to be paid for. That sin has got to be cleansed. And the way that it's cleansed and it's paid for is to be honest about it and to bring it to Jesus. To ask to, be, to give an honest confession and to ask God to humbly forgive you in the name of Jesus and to cleanse you. Right? To, to be like Hester Prynne, to come, to come clean about your sin. And when you do that, the Lord gives you peace. The Lord heals you. The Lord cleanses you. The Lord changes you. That's an unchangeable promise. If you're here this morning, that is a promise that you can believe and a promise that you can rest in. And we'll have a time after the sermon when we'll pray, and I'll give you a few moments of silence to confess your sins to the Lord and to ask Him to forgive you. If there's anything that you haven't confessed, bring it out. Bring it to Him. Bring the skeletons out of the closet. He knows it. He sent His Son because He loved you to die so that you could find forgiveness. And if you want to come and talk to an elder after worship about it, we'd love to pray with you and talk to you about that and reassure you of this promise of God. He promised to give us peace of conscience. He promises to give us peace in suffering. And lastly, he promises to give us peace in this world. Uh, and, and this is a hard peace in the future, peace in this world. And this is a hard promise to believe right now. Uh, when, it, when, when, when God's people are being killed and whether Christians are being killed and whether there's war all over the place. Uh, but in Isaiah 25, 6 through 8, Plug for reading the prophets. There's all, prophets are really hard to read. There's these beautiful nuggets in the prophets that if you can wade through them, you'll eventually find them. This is, prom, this is Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. 
Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's the promise that we hold on to for our future. That's the promise that we hold on to for this world. That one day, someday, King Jesus will return because God has made this promise and he keeps his promises and he gave his son's life to eradicate Satan's sin and death from this world. One day, someday, he will return to keep that promise. And that is our hope. When you look at your life and all you see is chaos and confusion and sin, that's the promise you cling to. The good news of the gospel is that God has saved, is saving, and will save all of creation and all of his people. And one day, someday, he will return to do it again. And, and whatever sin and suffering we see in this world now is, is calling us, encouraging us, crying out for us and for all of this world to put our hope in Jesus, to make him our rock and our refuge. Um, I, I heard an illustration this week uh, from a pastor who said that um, it's as if uh, there's a great forest and in that forest there's a tree and in that tree there's a nest and there's a lumberjack who's, who's coming to cut down that forest. But he, he sees that, 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 um, that bird in that nest and he doesn't want to destroy that, that bird when he, destroy it, when he chops down the tree. So what he does is he comes up to the tree and he bangs it. And when he bangs it, it, it scares the the bird, and the bird realizes something's happening, so the bird goes to another tree and builds another nest, and the lumberjack goes to that tree and bangs it, and so the bird leaves and goes to another tree and builds another nest, and the lumberjack bangs it, and then the bird leaves, and eventually the bird realizes that this trees, these trees are coming down, and the bird flies to a rock, and it builds its nest in the rock, because the rock is not going to come down. When we see sin and suffering in this world, the Lord is banging on the tree and he is telling us to put our hope in Jesus, the rock who will never come down, who will never be shaken, who will never change. All of God's promises are yes and amen through Jesus. In him, the infinite, eternal, unchangeable Lord of the universe became finite, became temporary, became changeable for us. For us. And God is tapping on the tree right now, telling all of us to put our faith in Him, to trust in Him for our present, in our present suffering, in our sin, and for our future. God makes great promises, and He keeps those promises in Jesus, and that is our hope. Uh, let's go to Him, and let's pray that He would help us to trust Him because whoever puts their trust on him will find peace. That's the promise we have. Let's go to him in prayer.